Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 36 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Is this a good deal? This is the number one question we get on our complimentary buyer's calls. And it's often as they begin to explore an opportunity, they've gotten the valuations, they've gotten the financials, and they just need to know, is it a good deal? It's also the goal of those phone calls we have. And in this episode, we are going to give you the secret sauce of how we look at a practice in those early phases. We're gonna go high level, does the deal make sense? But before we dive in, Mr. Loretto, Hello, partner. Hello. <laughs> Never gets old. No, no. <laughs> Adding it to my signature now. Yeah, did you get a phone call this morning? I got an email. You did? I did. Did yeah. they congratulate you on the I partner did. thing? Yes, from the podcast. And so thank you, kind sir, who yeah. called me this morning. That is super, super cool. So That's now I'm, I'm excited about the podcast today. Me too. I think this is a good one. I mean, I think we are giving away the quote, quote, secret sauce, but I yep. think we're also doing something that I think is helpful. Sometimes we get to these deals a little later than I think we'd like to. Yeah. And so I think the more information someone can have about just kind of big picture, what does this look like, the better. I mean, I, you know, I love ownership, but sometimes frustrates me a little bit when somebody sends me the deal and it's like the 11th and a half hour, like they're closing next week. Do you mind taking a look at this? I'm like, are you just asking me to look at this just for free? Just as like a last minute, like I'm going to close and, and or do you really, like, yeah. what am I going to say? No, yeah. like, it's a horrible deal. You're yeah. Or, or you've negotiated this the wrong way. You did what? I mean, what am I going to say? You can't yeah. unwind it, you right know, here. at that point. Yeah. So the goal is just to be able to look at these super high level early on. I mean, how soon do I send it to you? Like the second you hear about it, yeah. you know, this could be a D3 that's courting some seller, you know, or it could be you're in the military and you're going to about ready to buy something six months from now. There's never too soon to like pitch a high level of the deal of the opportunity. So uh, I'm excited for this podcast. Me, me too. So I think we're going to start with what we always say, right. which is, do you like and do you love the area, the person, the deal? Sometimes you don't know all three of those pieces, the location, but I think you have to have a level of comfort about that before right. we can look at the numbers and we can tell you, but we're always going to go back to, do you really like this location? Do you like the place? Yeah. I think a lot of our relationships start with, Hey, I heard you speak, you know, ex dental school year. And so now here's my deal. Take a look at it. And then I'll firebox an email. that basically says, okay, great. Send me some financials. And I'm kind of starting to look at that high level, but you know, I really kind of need to know about them. So certainly I want to know, you know, married and maybe some kids and spousal income. And I want to know about the area and your connections. So to me, certainly that's where we're going to start. But typically our relationships are going to start with kind of the financials as well. I usually have to kind of pry that out of them. Yeah. Well, no, and that's what happens on the phone call, right? It's sure. really hard and very rare that we get a sense of that from an email. It's really on the phone of them of like, you can sense the nervousness or you can sense the excitement. Right. And you find out all those background details. So let's start with the numbers. Okay. Your numbers, people. Yep. So financial highlights. So I think that's where we start for first and foremost. I'm not ever going to be able to tell you if it's a good deal if I don't know high level collections, yep. production, and net. So yep. let's talk about those. So what's cool is that you go all the way back to some of the early dental school lectures. This is like the basis of those lectures. It's like, what is the collections? You know, what is it net? You know, can you do the dentistry? How much are you going to net after dentistry? How much are you going to net after paying the bank? Is the bank going to give you the money? All of those basics. And so what I'm excited about with this podcast is the fact that our team, prior to these 
introductory kind of complimentary phone calls, we're going to push this podcast. Oh, yeah. So they will know exactly what and how that call, you know, is going to be. So certainly I want to be able to see high level. We want to be able to see what the thing is doing. And so I want to give us two extremes today. One extreme would be 600,000 of collections. And so can you do the industry? Certainly going to be my first question. Like maybe what is it net? So a 600,000 collection practice is probably going to net around 200. I think of a young Derek Williams. Okay. And I think of somebody in purchasing maybe a smaller type practice. And I think of a D4 coming out of school, him being able to do the work that makes perfect sense. And then I think about my call this morning, which an NDP client that you and Colin were able to help. And this was a $3 million production practice, Christy. Yeah. And he's purchasing 100% of that practice. And the reason it made sense is because we'll get to it, but basically do the work and the cash flows, you know, are there. And he's got the assistance with the people working back. And so it's cool to be able to see even these larger type production practice. Now the net from a collection standpoint, it had a ton of write-offs because in a very insurance driven state, you know, it was only like 2 million collections. So production was three. Physically, you got to go in and physically do that work. Your collections are two. You got to pay people to basically work back for you. So to be able to see, like, does that make sense for him? You know, it did. And so my first question to him, because this was you guys pretty much handled the whole thing. I came at the very end talk about our Kane Waters relationship this morning was tell me your story. You know, and this guy had heard me speak a second year dental student. He went off to the military. He's got his AGD. He's doing IV sedation. He's going to be placing implants. He's looking at all the procedures that the doctors are basically referring out. And there's just this amazing opportunity for him. And and so it was pretty cool to see. So my first thing I'm just looking at is what is this thing doing? Is it six, seven, eight million? Is it a two million? So the first thing I just want to see is how big of a practice are we talking about? Yeah. And I think those two numbers are important. And we all sometimes will get, oh, it's a $1.5 million practice. Well, what does that mean? Are you talking production? Are you talking collections? Are we talking cost? So understanding production, understanding collections, right? Because then that shows us those are the relationship between those two things. Is it insurance-based? Is it fee-for-service? Gross production, net production, et cetera. So collections are clearly one of the key things, right? I kind of don't care initially what it's producing. I care right. what's coming in the door. Correct. Right? I care Correct. later what it's producing. But initially, I just kind of want to know collections. And then I want to have the financials. So I can understand what it actually has from an overhead standpoint and what it grosses from a cash flow standpoint. Definitely. Sometimes we'll get production collection reports, which again, helpful, but if you're high level, does this deal make sense? I have no way to tell you that because I don't know what the owner's actually walking away with. And that's why those profit and losses or tax returns are so helpful to us because we're trying to get to that overhead profitability number. And then that is what's then we're comparing on a super high level kind of rule of thumb basis of, well, what's the value? What's the price? What right. costs? What are, what are they asking for the practice? We then say, okay, well, based on the collections, based on what we've heard from you thus far, and we'll talk about more of those components in a minute, and based on what it's netting from a cash flow standpoint, that price then we tell you whether or not that price high level makes sense. Yeah, so saying there, and I think what your team does a beautiful job on is that we take these financials and just like if we were going to value the business, you're putting that information in. We're taking a look at some of the risk factors and we're kind of pretending. Like if we were to have this as a client, 
what would the value be of that business? And can we at least justify that number? The, now, the value maybe to that senior doctor could be more or less, right? Yeah. So most of the time it's more. So for them, that's their, you know, their life's work. So maybe they're asking maybe a premium or something for that. And our job is just to look at this and is this going to make financial sense? So we definitely want to see, believe me, the net is by far the thing that we are most excited about. The opportunity for ownership is certainly something exciting, but we certainly want to be able to see is what does this thing make? Because ultimately, why you're becoming the owner is just so you can make more. We obviously don't want to take a pay cut through this process. So looking at collections and net are certainly number one and number two thing we're looking at. And this is where the first time that you might hear the uh, Charles Loretto-ism of don't mess it up. That's right? right. You have collections and you show net cash flow of five hundred thousand six hundred thousand dollars and the price is 85 percent and you feel like that might be a touch high charles loretto is going to tell you don't mess it up so my call this morning was so cute i mean the guy's he's been he's probably with 30 something and we were on the phone probably 45 minutes and his last thing he said we got off the phone was okay so i've got to ask the question is this a don't mess it up Charles deal? I just started laughing. I'm like, absolutely. And I go, I didn't say this, but kind of looking back on that call is if you went to work in this practice and he was going to do around 900 doctors, what our projection was, the other associate was basically going to do the other doctor production and then hygiene was going to come in and fill in the rest. If he was working in that practice at 900 and making 30%, he would make $270,000. As an owner, he's going to make over $600,000 when he purchases practice. So he's obviously kind of meets that rule of making twice as much money as an owner. And you can do the work and we can assess the risk. So this is definitely 100% don't mess it up deal. And we paid a premium for this practice. I mean, this thing was not cheap. This was a very, very expensive practice, and we didn't get as much working capital as we wanted, and you know the AR we didn't able to tackle. So there's a small little risk as far as our cash flow our first few months, but we can see it, and it's definitely going to work, and so it's definitely kind of that no-brainer. We get the Charles blessing on that. Absolutely. So that leads us to the next piece, and we've kind of referenced it here a couple times, but once we look at the financials and we understand kind of collections and net, and we kind of see it makes sense, The next question we ask is, can you do the work, right? right? Super, super, super important that you understand what production is being done from a doctor perspective, the breakout, doctor-doctor hygiene or doctor hygiene, the procedure mix, the patient mix, the type of dentistry. Is it something you can do and is it something you want to do, right? Because that's the practice that's generating those cash flows. A couple of things is certainly I want to know if I can do the work, but also certainly important is what is the price? So if this is a 600 collection practice that nets two and it's got outdated equipment, is the doctor asking $600,000 for a GP practice in rural East Texas? I'm not going to pay for it. If it's a 600 GP practice netting two that I'm going to be able to get as a discount at 300,000, there's a great opportunity to grow it, then I'm going to be super excited about it. And so we've got, just remember our cost is going to be very important to this. And and, and this is where I really need for you to sell me on your excitement. I really need for you to sell Chrissy and I on your disappointment of the outdated equipment or the staff that is, I don't know, I, I can think about a practice in Montana. The guy was trying to tell me that it was going to be like a 10-year lease, but it was kind of a bad location. I'm like, well, describe bad locations. Like, well, it's next to a tattoo parlor. Okay, well, is that where you trying to grow your practice next to the tattoo parlor or your employees? 
all tatted up. If you're trying to sell cases, you know, sell me on just this cost, sell me on can you do the work, but also sell me on kind of the opportunity and what you like and what you don't like about it. Now, obviously, we need to be able to look, can you do the work? So that kind of goes back to, is it a 600 or is it a $3 million production practice? And then let's figure out a plan of my associate or having my senior doctor kind of work back for me and how does that all play out so that's where I think just your team does a great job of kind of building out those models so they can really see what it's going to look like post-closing absolutely so the doctor doctor hygiene kind of mix right that's important for the production piece it's also important for us to know if it's a super hygiene producing practice which you probably kind of can tell from the profitability that's also a big boon to a practice and shows probably there's some opportunity for the doctor production to grow and then if we talk about procedures i always go back to the implant and a potential client called us high level overview practice looks phenomenal we get to this piece of the call and i was like oh can you do the work and he had never placed an implant ever right. and had no interest in ever doing it, right? There's a difference between not doing it and not being maybe as efficient at it and but wanting to be and never have placed one, right? So that is important. That changes our perspective immediately from like, there's zero chance you can do this because this is the practice you're buying. And so I think it's important to understand if you can do the work and if you can't do the work. And if you can't do the work, is it you don't want to ever or that you just need time to get there? And I think it's almost like you use this word like a decision tree, right? Like what comes next depends on what your answer is to those questions. So I think there, I would think a couple of things. And we, we always talk general dentistry is kind of a baseline, but it could be the number of orthodontic cases. It could be the number of root canals. It could be is this a $5 million surgery practice and the guy wants to sell and that's just, he's in the top 1% surgery. So there's lots of different, like, can you do the work? And to me, I would look at even, a, sometimes a buyer will come to me with that scenario of placing implants and they're scared. But how many implants are we talking about? Are we talking 10 implants a year, 20 implants a year? And if it is 20 implants a year, okay, how much are they charging per implant? And it's 2500 and it's $50,000. Well, if I'm purchasing a million-dollar practice and it's 50% and we're placing 50 implants, I'm not scared yeah. because I can just stop placing the implants and remove that revenue of, let's say, 50000 It's not 50000 straight profit because there's costs associated with those implants. And maybe I want to look at what you can bring to the table. Yeah. Or I have an idea. Keep the older guy or older gal in the practice to do those yeah. procedures so that we can kind of grow and maybe mentor, they can mentor you to learn the procedure. So I'm not going to run from something until I see this kind of whole picture. If anything, I might get even more excited about it. And I'm certainly going to be the guy that tells you to run if it's some two or 300 implant type practice. And that's all it is. And there's no hygiene and it's just super high end and super high end cosmetic type practice. People are coming from around the world to see this clinician. I'm going to be extremely nervous about the acquisition of it. Yeah, and there's also not even procedures, but just the amount of dentistry, right? Like in your example, that's a lot of production for one person to do. And so sometimes we have right off the bat, someone might say, oh, it's too big. I don't want to own 100% of it. But what are the factors surrounding the seller, right? And their ability and want to work back to help kind of clear that delta of production that you're missing. And then there's also the prime time to know what your ability is to bring in an associate, retain associates, find yes. new associates. So if you are in a super rural area and you're moving there, 
it's probably going to be hard for you to find an associate once that seller leaves. But we work with plenty of people who have networks and they're going back to their hometown and they know of three people that are coming out in the next five years who are going to be a great pipeline for them. And so I think that's also something to keep in mind is if the quantity of production is just too much for you either to physically do in your $3 million example, or you just don't want to, right? Right. Maybe it's only a million dollars of production and you can do it in your sleep. You just don't want to, right? Then you have the ability to bring an associate on. And so I always like to hear that story. What's the story with that senior doctor? Are they married? They got grandchildren there, you know, with their kids and they live down the road and they're active in the community and they want to stay involved in the practice. I like that. I like them to be involved in that deal especially if you need them from a production standpoint. And I think you hit on a great point, like that rural area or if we're in a major metro city. I called this morning with my $3 million guy that your team helped, major metro city, happened to have two dental schools to be able to produce a couple hundred kids, you know, that could maybe funnel into the practice. This is a great opportunity. You will see corporate dentistry be much more active in those types of communities because of their access to that talent that's coming out. And again, major metro cities between husband and wife, you're going to see that that's typically where you're going to see young people where they're much more committed to where they're not sure in life where they're going to go. And they just want that major metro city. And I 100% get that. So certainly we want to look at this whole big picture. What does it do? What does it net? What does it cost? Give me your excitement. Give me your disappointments. Can you do the work? Doctor procedures and breakdown. Is the guy or gal going to stay there? Yes or no? If so, how long? What can we budget as far as their production? How much are they going to get paid? I also think, too, that depending on the size of these practices, that if you get that no response, I just can't do the work and I'm kind of freaked out about it, that we might even think about from a purchase standpoint, like bringing on a partner. And that could be where we buy it and we keep him or her around. And then we might want to perhaps start thinking a strategy on bringing somebody in and over a two or three year period to make them an equity partner so we can really reduce our risk because we now we just purchased the real estate. And it's just kind of a big machine that you just don't want to maybe carry. Well, and then again, I think it goes back to like, what do you want and what is your capacity and what is your want for that risk? Some people thrive on that. Some people want that. They want to be 100% owner of a big machine like that. And some people are like, that's too much. We just kind of have to figure out what you are and what your tolerance for that is and then figure out a game plan. Yeah. We've done the lectures on mergers and things like that or maybe two doctors working in a smaller practice. But this is that example to where maybe purchasing a million dollar practice or million two, million five, and you just want to work three days a week and kind of have that work-life balance to where you might have to take the initial investment to become the owner. You bring somebody in to partner with you so you have that balance because maybe you've got even spousal income and their work and their income, but you need to be there to kind of help manage the family standpoint. I really, really love yeah. because it still goes back to you're going to make more money and build the equity, kind of our five region you must own that we always talk about by working in this type of environment. Sure, there's a little bit of risk. Sure, there's a little bit of work involved. But overall, just the payout, I think, is, is massive. And if you, the listener, can convince us that you're willing to take on that risk, then we will convince you that this is a good deal and basically try to be able to guide you through it. Yeah, and I'll make one more point on this and then we'll move on to the one of the final points we have. But we've been talking a lot about the $3 million practice. I think I also want to talk about the $600,000 practice, right? That where the cash flows might make sense, right? The price might be good. It's a smaller practice. You can do all the work. But 
the seller wants and says part of the deal is I stay on for a certain amount of time and I make a certain amount of money, right? right? Then the cash doesn't make sense. And maybe even though the cash makes sense without the seller, based on your personal situation, you know, you're the sole owner for your family or sole provider for your family, or you have a lot of student loan debt and that amount of money, right? That 200,000 doesn't cut it for you, right? So even if the cash flows make sense, high level, it still may not be the deal for you. You kind of have to see the whole picture. You have to understand what the seller's requirements are. Even if you don't need them, they still may need the practice cash flows. And again, that's not your problem, but if you purchase the practice, that becomes your problem because now you're committing yourself to pay them. Well, what I would say there is typically the bank is going to have a problem with that transaction. We're going to have a problem with the cash flow as well. So you're going to have to go back and sell me on your excitement and sell me on this opportunity. Your opportunity could be, well, Charles, I'm working three days a week at corporate over here and I make $1,500 a day because I produce $4,500 a day. My spouse makes $300,000. We've got a hundred or 200,000 liquidity and the seller's willing to maybe carry a portion of the loan, but this meets a retirement plan and this actually works for me. You're selling me because my first glance, I look at these numbers and you write a little email before we hop on the phone. This doesn't work. And I'm kind of disappointed in my call. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not excited about talking to you because I can already see the roadblock. I can see you're going to fall off the cliff and die. But sometimes I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. So that's kind of cool. And so it's not always just bad news. Like if you don't meet this checklist, it doesn't work. And I think what I really, really enjoy about what we do is be able to see it differently and be able to kind of see it's almost like an x-ray. Okay. Just as I'm thinking aloud, it's like that 4D x-ray where you they can kind of click around their mouse and turn it around and see it and see the whole picture. Like, super cool. And I feel like we've got a little bit of that ability by asking enough information like a very thorough x-ray. Okay. Last point um, okay. that we talk about. It's not, it doesn't have to be something we talk about on these high-level calls. You don't have to know all the details. But if you know it, it definitely adds to the picture. So the real estate, right? Yes. Does the owner own the real estate? Do they lease it? Do you like it? Is it an option to buy it? Is it an option to lease it? What's that lease rate going to be? It's not as common in most situations. The owners, if the sellers own the building, they're reasonable. They just want fair market value. Every now and then, you know, it has to be purchased. Right. right? A requirement. Requirement. Not selling the other without the other. Or they want an exorbitant amount of lease that the building is more their baby than the practice. Right. And that has been something that kind of can derail a transition. So it's not something we have to know initially, but it's something, it's a huge piece of your transition. It's a huge expense for your practice. And we really can't give you a true, what's your overhead and what's your cash flow going to be until we really know what that rent piece is. Yeah. So it's usually one of the last things I talk about, you know, when I'm looking at the deal. So what is it gross? What is it net? What's it cost? Can you do the work? What's the opportunity? Sell me on it. Is a guy or gal going to be working back for you? If so, for how long? What are we going to compensate him or her? And then it's like, after I get to that point where I'm like, okay, this is exciting. Like we are going to buy this thing is, Hey, what's doing the real estate? Okay. So if it's a lease, I can look at your profit and loss statements or financials you've already sent. It's already built in. I can look at the tax returns to see and uh, estimate. Okay. I think this guy probably owns the real estate and this is why. So I've already built in from my cash flow perspective that we're going to have a rent factor. 
but I just need to know about the real estate. So you got to sell me on the real estate. Fortunately, we've already got an episode about the real estate. So, so smart. episode 18, baby. So just go back and listen through that. But that is definitely going to be part of that initial high level review. Like what do we do? Okay. And then the last thing that we are going to analyze is if we're to purchase this practice and we have all these factors in and we have a bank note of 300, 400 or $2 million, whatever the financing numbers are, what are you going to net after debt service? Can you live on that amount of money? And does it make you happy? Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just like we're going through this. And so I don't know why it took us 36 episodes to finally get to the first phone call relationship that we have with these people. I know. It's kind of, it's kind of odd, but I think this a is slow a slow learner, Christy. I'm a slow learner. But I think it's, it's interesting because this we do from a high-level perspective, right? And that that's what we always say you should do. But then once you engage us, we do all of these same oh, steps. Yeah. We just then kind of get super in the weeds sure. on it and more sure. granular. And so, you know, I think that's important to know is like when you're comparing cash flows, you're comparing what you make as an associate, right? Like just gross what's on your W-2 or 1099 with what is this cash flow? I mean, that's your apples to apples comparison. And that's what we need to make sure it makes sense. And that's kind of our initial goal high level. And then clearly we want to fine tune it and detail and dig into it as we go down the road. So hopefully you've enjoyed a little bit of the secret sauce and you can use it and you can listen to this. And as you come upon opportunities, this can be a resource for you. And so that's all we've got. That is, today. it was awesome. I don't know why it took so long to get to, I'm glad we got that out there. Me, me too. And stay tuned because two weeks from now, we're going to have an interview with a previous buyer, a fresh, hot new owner, on what the process was like for them, what they learned, what they do differently. So if you're interested, subscribe to Transition Talk, like us on social media, and have a fantastic day. Give me a little high five going here. Bye. Good job, girl. Until next time, friends.